0: Hey everyone,
1: Naomi here. Welcome to this very special end of year episode. I've created a collection of just a couple of special moments that stood out for me in the people I chatted to over the last 12 months. And they traverse themes of change, facing trauma and adversity, and then inspiration. For when maybe we feel like we're having a hard time or we're going through maybe a rough patch and, you know, hearing stories from others about how they navigated change, how they faced setbacks or uh, challenges in their own lives and how they got through it and came out the other side. So that's uh, the themes for this special episode and I know that uh, a lot of you got back to me and some of these little snippets are from episodes that were special meaning to you and uh, stood out for you as well. So this episode is uh, hopefully going to provide a little bit of um, inspiration or uh, motivation for you at the end of this year and if there's a day where you're just going out for a walk you can stick your earphones in and sort of have a sense of connecting to these amazing people their stories and then if you ever want to listen to the episodes if you miss some of them you can always go to my website elementsyoga.ie and catch the original episodes there um, thank you so much to everyone who's been listening this year and supporting this little uh, beginning adventure of mine and let's just see where it all brings us in 2020 and uh, I'm excited I'm excited for what is to come so thank you again for listening and I hope you have a peaceful wonderful holiday period and a yeah, we'll connect again in the new year.
2: My, my background really is in international development, and that space of um, working with en- the NGO sector, okay. the non-governmental organisation sector, and then the kind of social movements behind that. And the more and more I got into that and looking at kind of how do you affect change, I realised there's two different strands of that. There's the internal landscape of what's happening inside yourself, and then there's the external of like, how do you want to affect change in the world? And my former paradigm of the way I approached it was very much of looking outwards. Like, the problem's over there, and I can help fix that problem. And then I suppose the more experience I had and the more uh, I saw it in the world, it's like, we can't fix the problems outside unless we address the problems inside us or the life inside of us, the aliveness inside us. And I see it now as a, what I call a Mobius strip, which is this kind of, if you imagine a figure of eight Mm-hmm. and one leads on to the other which leads to the next these cycles so the inner landscape of how we you know who how we perceive ourselves how we feel connected to the world um our so our well-being our spiritual life um our connection with the local society around us um has a huge impact then on what we want to make change happen in the world so my work now it, it really f- tries to integrate those two dimensions in that for any individual who wants to kind of get involved in whether that whatever side of that change is whether it's political or economic or social we need to look at the internal side and what's what how do you look after yourself you know what is your underst what is your purpose what's your calling what's your vocation Um, and then all the have tools and practices um, that help sustain that and that's really how I got into yoga myself like yeah I was literally on burnout territory okay. and I realized if I don't do something about caring for this I won't be able to have an impact in the world. Um, And then I just start seeing that everywhere, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting, though, because I feel maybe perhaps
1: my trajectory was a little to the other side of what yours is. But then like that figure of eight strip, you know, I'm almost coming around as well. So I would have had a lot of perspective of we need to go inside. We need to figure out what's going on psychologically and well-being. And now I'm kind of more, oh, and then we can, you know, affect change or move outwards into whatever work we do or the communities, like you say, that we're a part of. So, yeah, it's really interesting.
2: And I think there's a relationship between depth and scope. So in a way the deeper your work in society, the deeper you have to go inside as well. Like the more reach you want to have, the more you have to really look at this inner space. It's an incredible relationship. you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, which is a challenge for people who are really out there in the world. It's like what the time it takes and a way to care yeah. and have boundaries. Um, but then there's also, I, I see sometimes people feel very overwhelmed in the world and kind of do retreat and hibernate and have to go in. But that in itself locks them in a system. Yeah. You know, it's almost unless you're a monastic monk, you know, yeah. um there's a role for that. But I think people also find that sometimes they end up in a spin of just a lot of nail navel gazing and introspection and almost yeah. becomes narcissistic. So yeah, it's definitely. like how do you create this dynamism between the inner and the outer world? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think likewise, you know, there's that's almost the maybe the downside of introspection, that it can go too far, like the, what's the words the like, whatever, tips, like the, it tips over into too much introspection. And then likewise, you could have people who are too much out, mm. you know, oh, I need to have this out there in the world and this and this and this, but there's maybe less introspection.
2: What, so, one yeah. of the, the kind of metaphors or the language I love to use is around seasons and also the Celtic wisdom within Within, you know, in our indigenosity, there's this incredible blueprint for how to live, and it's with the Celtic wisdom and the seasons. So once I kind of started looking at that, it affects everything. You know, there's a time for wintering. There's a time for germination. There's a time for blooming. There's a time for going right into the unknown. And that cycle is imprinted into every single creative project. So whether you're setting up a podcast, whether you're writing a book, whether you're creating a big social change project, those periods, particularly the periods of rest and, and really working with the unknown, are essential to the outcome. And there's going to be cycles and seasons in any project. So it's really working with the energies of, and the questions which each of those cycles bring. And I think in the arc of our life, we go through these cycles as well. Yeah, in my exactly. own personal life, I've been through a big winter recently. It's like two and a half years of really having to retreat and let go and go into the deep unknown. But I know it's part of a bigger wheel yeah. of change. So was that one of the
1: influences
2: to move to Cork, do you think? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was in the city, flying around on my bike, left, right and centre, also using Dublin as a base to travel around the world. And um, it's just very, very fast and very, kind of in a way, when you're involved in so many different projects, and it's very easy to get associated with the label behind them. Like, you know, Claire is the doer or Claire is the social entrepreneur or Claire is the person who runs. I was in in lots of people's phones. I was Claire and then the organization they knew me through. Yes. Yeah. And I started getting addicted to those labels. Yeah. You know, who am I without those labels? Yeah. And in a way, I was really interested in that question. When we decouple ourselves from our external identity, what are we left with? And in a way, that's such a beautiful question to sit with. Yeah. I just knew I needed to work with that question
3: that's the problem is that we're so we're so comfortable now like everything even somebody who's on like the doll you know like which is probably the lowest tier like obviously other than than being homeless or whatever but like (laughs) a person like that is still like has comfort has like extra stuff like as in not needed for survival like we're comfortable enough that even if you're on doll you've got a tv you've got a laptop you know you can watch netflix and you can mm. eat food and there's no real like there's no real things that are driving us to make any change so yeah like we don't feel like we're survivors we, we struggled for millions of years to get to the point where we could just like be comfortable and now we're so comfortable that we don't have any drivers to to make us think about change or to want to change anything, and you yeah. know, like uh, from a survival perspective, I mean, we should just all be sitting on the couch, eating Twinkies, <laughs> and, and, you know, liquidated yeah. food straight from the fridge and not move at all because that's like what we've wanted up to. That's what we've needed up to this point. Yeah. But I think now that's where discipline comes in. Is like we need to have the ownership and have the motivation to like go against these kind yeah of i think it's a things.
1: weird time because i think probably like you say so if there's this ancestral element to how we should move or how we should have been in our bodies that you know like you say with the discipline like there wasn't there wasn't ever a switch that we should have had that discipline because we didn't need to have exactly. it so we're trying to like form that switch now oh, this is something like something I should do or feed back in that feeling of, oh yeah, this feels right or I feel connected here. Mm -hmm. Whereas we didn't maybe in the past have to do that. We weren't required to make that decision.
3: And that's like consciousness. I think that's where like the elevated consciousness comes in and the spiritual aspect of it is so useful as in rising above like our logical thought and just our base instincts, but like thinking on a higher level of, you Know doing good for the world, doing good for ourselves. Like, if we do good for ourselves, we are doing good for the yeah, world, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, kind of elevating your viewpoint a little bit and looking at the battlefield from like 10,000 feet or whatever, and, and looking at your part in, in how you play it out, you know. Yeah, As from a survival aspect, yeah, you're doing great, but yeah,
1: <laughs> you, you know what
3: I mean. Like, if you want to, well, have...
1: I feel like the difference is there, then, like, you know we've we've mastered maybe survival like we've got that down like we have our food and we have mm-hmm. all these things and the the added element is perhaps that's lost is we haven't mastered thriving mm. like you know that flourishing feeling of you know there's physical repercussions to not moving naturally or bringing our body through all these different ways to move and then the the mental and emotional repercussions of not experiencing like a challenge or not being sort of pushed to go outside in the elements of nature against certain you know obstacles or anything like that and that doesn't just have a physical effect like that you know leads to depression or sadness or sort of a, a sense of connection to yourself like you say so it's you know that maybe needs to get more into our everyday psyche of okay, it's not just survival I need to do here.
3: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh you know the book Tribe, um uh, like the the author of that, I can't remember. Is it Johan Harreri wrote that? Anyway, he says um mankind is happiest when we're part of a small group struggling for survival. An essential part of a small group struggling for survival. And there's a couple of elements that, like, being essential to the group, that's important. We don't have a tribe anymore, you know. The small group thing is important because we have, like, so many friends now on Facebook, but we don't actually have any friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, And struggling for survival, I think that, like, struggle part of it is super important as well. It's, like, we, we need those things to drive us on, you know. And if, like, we don't have a struggle now, essentially, but the struggle is becoming, like, more elevated like it's a it's a consciousness struggle now so people that are not like thinking about these things are the ones that are going to decline you know and that's what you see i I see things like the gap getting wider and wider between people who are like hashtag woke yeah (laughs) people who are not if you want to put it that way like people who are like pushing in one direction as in trying to better themselves be better aware of other people improve relationships all that stuff and then people who are like degenerating in the opposite direction. Yeah. And I see there's a the gap is getting wider and wider and wider. Yeah. You know?
1: It's interesting, you know, that you say that gap because it's kind of like how people would have looked at like economic wealth. And you might have markers or indicators to okay, we have a top one percent and then, you know, the rest. You know, maybe there's like another scale we could put on it, like the top percent of people who've realized what the point of life is (laughs) and then everyone else and it's like I suppose what like I feel personally is say through climbing or outdoor activities I think that brought to the fore very clearly you know say if you're involved in a physical task or there's different things to navigate when you're climbing say like a rock climb for instance there might be oh I'm getting frustrated here and then I have to try and relax that down so I can focus on how to make the next move or whatever it is. I always felt like in the yoga realm there's a purpose for that and there's a point to meditating and breathing practices and I definitely follow all of that stuff but I feel what say something like rock climbing can give or an outdoor activity is I'm not you know out of my own inner being i'm not creating a challenge like a challenge is there for me and i have to navigate it and that's sometimes what i feel like people miss like there's no there's no outside stimulus saying oh like i have to figure this out and get through it so you know there's no marker there for people to say oh well like, they could literally just avoid that if they don't yeah. want to. Hmm. So it's
3: interesting. And a lot of people have that attitude now. well.
1: Yeah.
3: Like, oh, cold water swimming, why the hell would I do that? Like, you yeah. know. Or even, yeah. like, some people are like that about sport or, or any kind of physical activity. It's like, yeah. I don't have to. Why would I?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, like, they're not
3: wrong. <laughs> yeah. But eh, I don't know how that's going to work out for them in all their life. You know? Yeah. This is the problem is that we're seeing people's health decline and, like, you know, the... the obesity epidemic diabetes it's just this stuff is getting out of control now you know yeah. kids like we shouldn't be seeing kids under 10 with with uh type 2 diabetes
1: yeah it's definitely. Like,
3: it's crazy but that attitude yeah it's it's and like i suppose a lot of that stuff is probably conditioning and education is like if you want to be successful you know you just have to make money and you know buy a house and like that's it you know have kids or whatever The the. Uh, well it's interesting
1: because it's yeah it's the value system of the culture and the tribes of people around you if everyone around you values get your job and make enough money to buy your nice house you are immediately want to belong to your family or your friends or your community Mm -hmm. so you're immediately almost subconsciously diverted to thinking oh that's the thing i need to do to get to be part of this community. Yeah. So that's the thing I will do. And that's where people then they take all those boxes and they realize, "Oh wait, there, there was a value missing. Like no one told me about personal well-being yeah. or Absolutely. you know, or emotional connection to my friends and family." And you know, you had that awakening and you went on your you know, your personal trip to Peru and you changed up your physical regimes. Because you felt maybe there was a need or a call for that and I suppose the questions I'm asking are what's interesting is when someone doesn't have the call it's you know how are we encouraging this value the value for play or the value for personal health or well being when that's not what they're seeing in their schools in their everyday lives so they don't need to pay attention to it yeah. until maybe a disease happens or something goes wrong
3: and it's too late yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely like are you asking me how we do this yeah yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> give me the answer I wish I had the
3: answer. <laughs> yeah, I, like hopefully well the way i look at things is is like the world is is full of bubbles right and it, like there's bubbles for everything, you know what I mean? There's yoga bubbles and there's fitness bubbles and then there's like personal bubbles. And like the more, as people connect, these bubbles get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I think what we're seeing now probably is a lot of people are waking up to this stuff and they're starting to connect to each other. And those type of bubbles are starting to grow. Um, And I think this is the way all change happens is that slowly over time, you know, as bubbles grow and they start connecting and, you know, incorporating other, other bubbles into them and it gets bigger and, bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually that becomes the status quo. Yeah, Hopefully, definitely. You know, so that's it. Like, you can't make these changes happen quickly. Unfortunately, all change has to happen slowly. So. <laughs>
4: yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. India, and I would have had a very, very classical training. You know, I would have been initiated into, you know, ashram style yoga. Is that um, where you went first to train? Pretty, and it wasn't training. It was just, uh, I wanted to go to India because I was yeah. really into yoga, yeah. you know. So that's where I went and I was reading books uh, by, um, it was a Shivananda ashram, but it's very, very little one up in the Himalaya. Um, so it was quite, it wasn't as strict and regimented as some of the other ones, but it was still very strict and regimented, you know. Um, and it was amazing and it was a fantastic cornerstone to practice with. And then the trajectory of teachers that I worked with or worked under would have come from very classical traditional lineages. And that worked for a really long time for me. Um, until I, my body changed, until I became pregnant. That was the first big uh, phenomena in my body, I'm like, oh, this is amazing because I'm in a really body affirmative practice and body centered practice. Yet there was nothing available to me. And the only kind of headline I'd ever been given in the, you know, I suppose I was about, where would I have been, about eight years practicing yoga. The only modification I'd been given, and as a woman in a yoga class, was don't do inversions when you have your period that was rule one and only yeah yeah so it was like oh okay i won't but lots of women didn't pay attention to that and lots of women stopped menstruating and they saw it as a kind of a boon because they could practice continually and all of the practices that were very much on trend at the time were you know a Shanga vinyasa and strong regular uh, early morning vigorous um
1: Kind of athletic. really Yes. Strict.
4: Yeah. That was the kind of the feeling. Okay, it was yeah. strict. It was control. It was not translating massively well into any other area of your life other than that's the practice. And if yeah. you're a yogi, that's what you do. Yeah. So <clears throat> I had a moment when I uh, was in a, a big training over in the UK with my teacher at the time. And I had had two babies and i had just left my youngest to go to the training and i was still feeding her and i got one maybe of maybe two or three of my first periods after birth and we were talking about Swara yoga and Swara yoga's cycle of the cycles of life you know when we spent I'm exaggerating, but it felt like three days on the right nostril and three <laughs> days on the left nostril. I'm like, are you kidding me? And he's still talking about the right nostril <laughs> and the foot that lands to the floor in the morning to express the dominant nostril, and the foot that walks out the door in the morning to express the dominant nostril, and how you harness the energy of the dominant nostril, and on and on and on and on. We went into cycles and cycles. And I sat there and I went, when's he going to mention the menstrual cycle? And literally there there's 100 people in the room and 98 of them were women, maybe 96. It was a sprinkling of men. So I stood up and I said, uh, what about the menstrual cycle? And I said, I am definitely more intuitive before I bleed. I am definitely more sensitive. I am definitely more attuned to something. And I'm not quite sure what it is, but it's there. And I watched as I spoke all these heads nodding in the room. All these women going, yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, I'm definitely more energized at different times of the cycle. And this was just my own observation. And my teacher at the time, who came from a lineage, of 4,000-year-old lineage, they could trace the lineage for 4,000 years exclusively as far as they were concerned, men only lineage this kind of patriarchal you couldn't get more old school patriarchy if you went out to royal dublin golf course and tried to find an older boys club and he looked at me and went well i can't really speak to that um other than to say classically you know you ovulate on the full moon and you bleed on the back moon. If you know, if you're really living in, in in harmony with nature and I, and I kind of I was like, okay. I said, but if you're telling me the root chakra in women is the cervix, what happens when that opens to ten centimeters? What happens when the root, when the gate opens in her psyche? I can't speak to that. I was like, okay. <clears throat> so I sat down, and I was devastated. And a woman turned to me and she went, are you satisfied with those answers? And I said, no. And she went, I'm not either. And then at the break, I talked to another woman who was so devastated by it that we ended up bawling, crying, the two of of us. And I left that teacher and I was really angry. And then it dawned on me that... Nowhere in the classical teachings are women's natural altered states just by virtue of sitting in the room addressed.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. There's no
4: there's no conversation. And we've been so talked out of our natural rhythms that most women don't even know they're there yeah and if you break it down to its actual you know uh, biology when a woman becomes pregnant she no longer menstruates because that menstrual blood is making a human being so we're all made out of menstrual blood we're all made out of blood so to say that the Highest of the highest of the highest of the highest teacher, who's made out of menstrual blood, <laughs> on yeah. some level. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't that's... tell me anything about that. Was, <clears throat> on one hand, devastating, and on the other hand, just like so unbelievably illuminating. Yeah. And it sent me on a whole other path, a whole other journey that started. I suppose Alana was probably about one and a half, or so, when that happened. And that's, so that's that's really where I've been for the past eight years. Yeah. I had always been teaching pregnancy yoga. I had always been teaching women. I just didn't understand the seriousness of it yeah. in a way.
1: Do you think that there was women featured or um, included before
4: it got eliminated? I think so. Yeah. I think those ancient... Um, you see, I think also women's women's tradition is oral. We speak, we talk. We're not scribes. We tend not to write it down as much. We, I believe, would have passed it from grandmother to mother, mother to daughter, you know, sister to aunt. You know, that's just the way of the feminine. It's more expressive. It's more embodied and communicative. Um, and I think somewhere along the way that was considered less than
1: yeah and it's then began to yeah. write
4: it down and because it was written it took on more weight and yeah more uh yeah substance as far as
1: considered as more true just or more true think, yeah,
4: just more kind of righteous i mean it was happening clearly all over the world in all of the traditions they were flipping from you know more matriarchal even though we can't prove that it seems to be that way if you look down just through the the, um, the, the architectures history, yeah. and the carvings um, and the artwork that's left behind and then that really intangible thing of just kind of knowing it yeah
0: um, but I suppose like that's I think there's always that um, cheeky little rascal in me and like that rebel teenager. She, I have to acknowledge her and like she's the one who has gets me up, up to all sorts of mischief. Mm. Um, I never want to lose that that part of myself. And I can see like you know sometimes from delving real dark into the underbelly of your your shadow side or mm. anything like that. Like I have and I feel like this year I've really come out i mean with the last couple of years especially like with repeal and all like be, i was so heavily involved emotionally with that and campaigning and stuff for that like i feel there was such a, a, a stagnant heavy energy with that and so serious that you're nearly like uh, you forgot how to have the crack yeah so for me like i've always kind of tried regardless of what class i've taught it was um people feel really self-conscious in the world. Mm. And when they come into a space, like, um, I just want them to feel like they've been there their whole life and that they could start talking to Bridie beside them if mm. they wanted to, if, if Bridie wanted to chat back. But, you know, so it becomes, all, it, it's that community because isn't yoga meant to be about the union? and mm. So, yeah, some days you come in and you just bash it out in your mat for yourself. But then other days, the beautiful part of, coming into a space with other people is that you connect with somebody else. Mm. So I think, like, um, yeah, it's...
1: Like, the fun side, you were saying, kind of bringing that in a little bit, maybe more. So it kind of reminds everyone to, oh, so ever so <laughs> yeah, we're like allowed. If
0: you think about it, there's nothing like a lion's breadth mm. to make... Because I mean, you say to people, and if, if you think you're too cool for school to make, like... Do the hacker, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or do something. Well, then you need to do it ten times more. Yeah, because you, you think you're like you know why are you being so serious for it? You know, like it's only it's in so. It's so true,
1: and I think like you were saying there. There's a couple of things like say with repeal, you were heavily involved in that. Um, like we'll go back to in a moment, like you know how that came about and that, but say that was the referendum. You know the decision was to legalize or. To maintain uh, a non-legalizing of the abortion uh, yeah. laws in Ireland. Like you were mentioning there that it felt like it got very serious and heavy, and then you mm. were emotionally involved. It's interesting, like how it's the same in yoga, like how can we maintain an awareness or evolution of change for ourselves or transformation that on a certain level, we want to integrate with um like feeling and being involved, but then like the shadow side, we don't want to drag it too much down into the depth of now. We almost feel like we're so serious, like life is depressing now. Yeah. You know, that kind of way. And like after your involvement with it, like how did you start to bring back in? you know, life can be fun and easy going mm. and it's not maybe a big fight. Like, how was that process for you? I,
0: I think Omoni even still got... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just got a massive wave of emotion there. Um, I would think that um, because we live in, in a country that um, women haven't been supported not even just women like i mean look at how far even with the the gay marriage as well like Mm. that was a huge turning point as well so it's not just women but i suppose on this point it was it was like um people's reproductive rights and um and i think just the lack of care for people like regardless of why they needed to have an abortion. And it was so many people having an opinion and mm. being so cruel about it. And it's like, yeah, that's that might not be your choice, but you don't know what's gone on in that person's yeah. life. And regardless of what their story is, that's their story. And um, compassion, like I said, at the seat of all my practices is compassion. Mm. And I think that that was just, there was just so much fear and pain. Again, the fear in there for like that would we not get this support this support this health care in um that was so badly needed because it wasn't going to stop you know like it's, mm. um women were people were still crossing the waters wherever they needed to go um and i think it took an awful long time like i even think my whole body just kind of even broke down with that it took months and I and my uh, my hair just wasn't even it went lost all the, um, gorgeous big curls so I had massive long curly hair down to like my mid shoulders and it just everything was dying, and my hair just kept going into these big knots and then I just had it got a big dreadlock in it I didn't want the dreadlock and I couldn't get rid of them, and then one day I was like Sam will you brush this thing out of my hair and he was like, oh you'll stab me he's like it's like a um, hedgehog lives up there <laughs> and all I could do was go to the hairdressers and you I was like will you please save as much as my hair as possible because I had so much identity in my hair as well I realized I was like oh my god attachment issues here <laughs> I comb with my hair and it was mad because she was like I can't even use the scissors Um, I'm gonna have to use a barber's knife and she was like slicing. And I literally was left with a couple of centimeters of hair at the back. And I had, like it was huge. And it, for me, as she was cutting it, the weight from my brain, it was like a, it was like this spiritual rush. It was like this cleanse and just it was like the shame, the collective shame and the pain. It was just and this was like the end of August. And so if you think the end of May was when we voted. Yes. Yeah. So I, and Sam and I had gone driven over to Paris in the van and done a house swap over there and had a grand old summer and repeal was far from our mind after a couple of weeks. And then um, as I was doing that, I just felt the knot and the worry and the burden and the pain and just the frustration of, of, of our society. It was just like dropping from my body so that was the beginning of it but I think like um you know because I do do a lot of women's work and stuff like that I I did have to kind of look at how I was um supporting my body with that and like that I had a great chat with Lou Horgan um and <laughs> the star bar that she is um and I was just chatting to Lou saying uh, oh god how how do I continue at this mm. and this is where my passion is this is like uh, purpose is what I, I really wanna work to hold space for women aftercare for abortions and mm. um, look after the people like this. And um, Lou just kind of said, "Right, Mrs. She was like, uh, "You've got all that shakti going on in there," and she said, "But shakti's gonna dry up." And it's and I was like, "Fuck!" And the pain just dropped, and I was like, "It's all my creativity, which I'm hugely creative." and have to contain sometimes because it just takes over me sometimes. She was like, "Kitty, it's at this point now. You put one out, one back in." And I was like, "What?" And I was saying, "Jesus, if I'm really honest, it's probably 20 out, maybe 30 out, and if I'm lucky, one back in." And she, and it was a huge penny drop. So, um yeah, kind of got to the end of the year and uh yeah, my body wasn't in good shape, and I was just, it was still grieving. And and um, how did that feel? Was it in a way that you felt, like, physically tense, lethargic? Just like t- in a vice, like, yeah. the anxiety, like, I'd be on and off with an anxiety relationship um, quite often, and I noticed that if it was, like, if my... um self-compassion like if i'm just giving putting out 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 all the time and if there was nothing coming back but then like sometimes i would notice i was keeping myself busy because uh busy is much easier yeah. <laughs> than sitting with the with yeah. whatever it was so it was a huge it was hard really hard to hear that and like you know i'm just being honest because i i know you know we know lots of yoga teachers and they'll probably be listening to this or anyone who's a carer or like, but it, it is that important that if, mm. if you're a carer or a parent or you're caring in any kind of profession or field, like, it has to be one out, one in. And that's mm. crucial for that, And right? you mean one out, one in, like, offerings-wise? Yeah.
1: Like, so if you give something, like, a period of time or something, you go on your own personal retreat yeah. or you get a treatment or that kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah. But
0: even, like, it doesn't have to be, like, well, geez, I just taught a, a, a day retreat there. How can I give myself a day retreat back? But... What Like, now after I do my women's day retreats, um, I'll go home now and I'll have a whopper big bath. And I could be in there mm. for two hours. I'll go in for a, Sometimes I only I might want to just have a bath and a shower. But I'm saying I'm releasing back to the earth what um, isn't mine. And I'm releasing what I no longer need. and um, But that took a while because I think I used to just come home and be, be so wrecked. And also I saw then, and what I had to look at hugely... Um, I had nothing left for Sam so I had nothing left yeah. for me and yeah. here's my amazing partner who was like supporting me the whole way through it and um, then I'm just coming home after holding space mm. for whatever a yin practice or a women's circle and then like I have nothing left mm. like I'm dead on the couch mm. Sleep by 10 o'clock and it's Saturday night and he's like yay, yeah, know, <laughs> this is yeah. our weekend. So I have like um, pulled back. Uh, and it, like, you know, when it's your full-time job, um, you know, you're, you it's your job. So, yeah. so it's, it's yeah. for me, like if I've gone and I've held a big massive circle for women and it's been on trauma and shame and, and um, stories or whatever that's held in the body and me legging it off to get a blow dry and get my yeah. eyebrows tinted, that's lovely. I'm going to look great and I'm, I'm going to have an instant hit off that and be like, oh yeah. But I'm talking about um something to kind of clear, clear yeah. clear my own, um, my own universe mm. and um, give it back, give it back to the, to wherever the it needs to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Back to the math. And um, yeah. so I think, you know, that's, that's a, a big, you know, we see, we hear self-care now Bantered about more like words probably in the wellness industry. It's mm. like selfcare this self care. They and people use self care for everything now.
1: I read something recently and it was like that. That you know we almost associate self care literally like what you're saying with like getting our nails done or yeah, you know comforting. it that's is lovely, lovely but it's if it, the post was kind of saying external that external work exactly yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of saying that. You know, and I've had this experience myself that the real self care that, like you're saying, kind of clearing out your own psyche or making sure you're not internalizing anything, that's nothing you're gonna be taking photographs of or posting about. Like it's dirty Uh, work, like (laughs) the undervalued
2: not pretty. Yeah,
1: exactly. And (laughs) it's it's like it's not central. (laughs) Yeah, and it's kind of that process that when you're in it, it's like it's nothing you want to be talking about or having a reflective quote about our poem no. it's literally like it's mucky and like it's when you come out maybe the other side you go right that was worth that now i oh, yeah. Yeah, like it was worth it but it's that self-care like that yeah. processing yeah absolutely yeah. it's so interesting it, 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 it
0: is it's mm. i remember saying that before to one of my friends going to, oh God, one of our friends has like a really stressful job and I remember going, do you think, do you think, is she looking after herself? Like, does she say to you? And, um, one of the girls was like, yeah, she's always getting her hair blow dried and I was like, yeah, but, what about what's going on about the feelings? Yeah, yeah. That's a really stressful job. Like, um, Mm. who's looking after her after she looks after all these people? And I think, you know because we're not conditioned to be told, like, um, it's like, go and treat yourself, yeah, definitely go and treat yourself. But you know, I would definitely be at the point now where sometimes I'm like, me roots are down to my eyebrows, or like, <laughs> um, but I'll always have the money for uh, the kinesiology session, yeah. I will never pick, um, going for a massage, well, going for like Like dinner or something yeah yeah i would never not have the money for that because for me it's crucial to my um existence in the world and me like surviving because Mm. um like i think that's the thing i was somebody said to me there a few weeks ago we were just having a chat and they were like well do you feel like you're surviving life or thriving in life Mm.
1: Say, like, years ago, before you started studying kinesiology or even yoga, what started to draw you? Like, why were you interested in the healing professions or the body or this kind of world?
5: I always had some sort of an an interest, just kind of a vague interest, and I think a lot of people do. And I remember the first book I ever read was by Caroline, Some people call her Caroline Mice or Caroline Miss, Anatomy of the Spirit. That's probably in my 20s. My sister bought it. Um... And it's a fascinating book because it she has great case studies about, you know, how, how she can kind of perceive illness in people's bodies or, or, or imbalance and, and the effect that that's having at a subtle body level, you know, on things like chakras or senses of personal empowerment and then how that sits into their physical bodies. So th- there was that interest. And then I was living in Australia. I lived there for about four and a half years and uh, I, I lived with Someone who was training to be a yoga teacher and an acupuncturist. And I got to know (laughs) sort of all of their friends. Um, And I also had another friend who got me to come to a yoga class in a surf club. And um, it was round and it was like a mixed level ashtanga class. I had no idea what was going on, like not a clue. And there was a guy up in this like bound headstand thing at the end. And I was kind of lying down looking over going like, "What? what am I even doing here? (laughs) <laughs> and so I, I kind of left it for a while, but I, I knew there had to be something else. I worked in IT and I just felt this lack of a sense of any connection to anything much, which I think would, could only come because I wasn't in Dublin. So I was away from my family. I was away from all my kind of security, if you like. And, uh, and that made me start looking for, for a way to kind of anchor myself. Um, and I started going to a yoga class, a really gentle yoga class, a really simple class. Um, and, and I had a, a, quite a bit of stress going on at the time, kind of personal stuff was coming up. And just the, the place I went to yoga became this kind of like a little refuge. I'd walk in and they'd have kind of music that had birds tweeting in the background. Um, and I just started to notice, I'd go in there, I'd, I'd lie down, I'd not do all that much. And I'd feel really good afterwards, even in the middle of all the stuff that wasn't so good. Uh, And the teacher was lovely. She gave really simple things to do. I remember she gave us a sheet one time of, you know, things to try between your classes. And one of them was like, check your breath every time you stop at a traffic light. So I did. And I started to realise, like, I was holding my breath a lot of the time. And I was really tense in my body a lot of the time. Um... So that was what got me to yoga. And I was kind of looking around then to see, you know, I was trying kind of, I did a few short massage courses and things like that. And then through a kind of series of events, I I went to a kinesiologist. And if I've been really honest, I didn't think much of it. The first time I went, I kind of thought, well, that's a bit bit far out (laughs) for me. Uh, But the day after I'd been with her, something that structurally had been causing me a lot of difficulty, I had really bad um, jaw problems, like really bad. It was just gone. And she didn't touch my jaw. She didn't lay a finger on it. But what we did go into was all the places that I had bitten down on kind of my own wisdom, really, and pushed it away and wasn't listening to to what was really going on for me. And I was getting increasingly frustrated by it. um, And so that, I mean, really, it was such an overnight change that I kind of thought, okay, need to, really need to listen to this
1: and when you um you know so there was the obvious structural change with you felt in your jaw wow that's you know freed up a little bit mm-hmm. did you feel a sense of connection to an ability to tap into those aspects of your wisdom that you felt you'd maybe not listened to or avoided a little bit did that happen at the same time or was that a little bit later
5: or even in even in the days following and I guess the same woman, the, the this kinesiologist, she rang me and she's, she said, look, just by the way, I'm going to be doing a one-day course, kind of beginner's course in this, in a couple of weeks' time. And it, it was a weekend and a Saturday, I think. And my initial response was, oh God, I'm not going to give up a Saturday to do that. And then something just came in and said, hang on a minute. Like, just break this pattern. And so I went. Um, and it was just another layer of kind of being able to connect into and acknowledge... Acknowledge what was happening for me internally and the extent to which I was kind of overlooking a lot of my responses a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, And this
1: is still when you were in Australia, was Mm. it? And was that showing up for you? Was it how you felt in work or relationships or just in general? You felt, you know, I need to realign something here or was it, you know, was there
5: Mm -hmm. something more focused? It was... There were a couple of things. I think there was there was quite a general pattern for me of of kind of just try kind of managing my environment, I suppose, and giving the right answer, you know, um, instead of ever just putting my hand up and saying, "This isn't working for me," or "I'd like to change that," or, you know, I I wasn't really acknowledging myself a lot of the time. So that that only really started to show up, I think, once I was away and and not just in all my habitual patterns yes, and you know going yeah. out drinking and all that sort of <laughs> stuff because like my life had changed a lot um so the more i was kind of just listening to whatever was going on for me the more i could see that like i was in a job that i wasn't finding particularly satisfying um i had a whole lot of interest in in things that that i hadn't really looked into before you know kind of just different just being a, in nature more and and then also sort of that question of like what's it all about and, and what does fulfill me what do i want because i had worked in it for years and it was fine mm. it was fine and i was doing well in it and i was you know it, the, the, the people i worked with were nice but i was it just didn't feel like there was that much in it for me and i didn't feel it didn't feel particularly satisfactory and i remember one day talking to a guy i worked with a couple of guys i worked with actually and they were very animatedly discussing an article they'd read in a magazine and it was a a technical thing they were so excited by it and I remember thinking that is why I am never going to be particularly good at this like or any better than I am because I would never pick up a magazine (laughs) to read about this in my spare time I would do something else and and you know that like that's that's a red flag because also there just wasn't enough else going on outside of kind of work and 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 you know a nice social life but I just wasn't feeling very very fulfilled or sort of connected
1: yeah no it makes loads of sense and I think that moment or you know that period of time where you're navigating to oh what do I actually want I think it's it's really tricky like it's really difficult to start to tune in and kind of go oh I don't have to ask permission I'm an adult now and mm. you know I don't have to wait till someone says it's okay you're allowed or any of these things and then that can feel I think for a lot of people um, like we were talking about the discomfort that there can be a resistance and go oh fuck it I'll just stay in this job
5: <laughs> like, yes. it's too much hassle completely oh look I tried it yeah <laughs> I tried it and uh, and, and I suppose it depends because some people sort of feel, well, you know, if they're, they're, their job must be something that's deeply fulfilling. And not necessarily, you know, because I, I think this is something that our, our, our culture and society now promotes, is that, oh, we should, we should all be doing something that's amazing and we love. It's, it's not realistic. And if, if the boxes are getting ticked somewhere, whether that's through your family and or your relationship and or hobbies or other pursuits, great. Yeah, you know, because um, we are so much more than our work, and as long as we're finding a sense of connection to ourselves, and I think couldn't that be enough? You know, mm. so I
6: realized, yeah, I'd been on this uh, trajectory of linear achievement, um, and I needed to slow down and listen to kind of the wounded parts of myself, and particularly this feminine part that I really hadn't paid any attention to. Mm
1: interesting yeah and then so what did you you mentioned you started to you know include maybe a little stepping back and swimming in the sea was -hmm. there anything else that in that time that you started to include and go okay or how did you start to realize to take care of that feminine aspect
6: I knew that I was broken inside and I knew I'd been on the run from um, a childhood that was challenging in some aspects um, from 10 years of hedonism in London it was all an escape route um, and then I suppose the final part was a series of you know difficult relationships and what I realized after we need to talk about Ireland is that I was sitting on a bed of trauma I didn't really know what trauma was back then but I knew there was something that needed to be tended to on the inside and it's like how long have you got I started swimming in the sea Um, I had amazing support system of friends around me like I seriously turned off the laptop and just paused and it was like climbing even though I had a yoga practice for years I think the yoga held me together I think it actually regulated the trauma that I had not explored but then I started to go into different therapy processes I found five rhythms the dance practice which really brought life back into my body And I went on a deep dive of exploration, looking back to my childhood, what it means to be a woman. uh, And the maps arrive. Five Rhythms was a map, um, a lot of somatic experiencing to understand how trauma is hosted in the body. Teachers showed up at every junction. um, And it was the most kind of profound time of my life. Uh, I also listened to a lot of podcasts. I listened to, to people talking about this experience of the heroine's journey online. and i I kind of used the heroine's journey as a a, a handrail and decided to dive into that process myself consciously. Um, the yoga really helped. a daily meditation practice really helped. Uh, another great practice from a teacher called Michaela Bone, which is called Non-Linear Movement, because I've been doing so much Ashtanga and very regimented, possibly patriarchal yoga, asana systems, and I needed to get a little bit free of that and sometimes Mm. get on the mat and move in a non linear way to free up my body uh, to really be with whatever wanted to emerge. Mm. So it was a really big journey. And then I also think that in the world right now, um, we're living in, in in that... We're living kind of on a super highway of everything is falling apart and yet everything is opening up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I know now I was always a very sensitive child and I'm very aware of what's happening kind of in the cultural soup of being a woman, living in Ireland, living in the world right now. Um, once I became... Once I understood and what became went into relationship with the trauma that I felt I was hosting, or knew I was hosting my system, I started to see it on a collective basis. Um, I found an incredible teacher at that time, earlier really, but I, I went and studied with him in 2017, called Thomas Hubel, uh, and he had uh, released or opened up a... Uh, um, An organization called the Pocket Project, and it was about looking at bringing people together to explore, experience, and heal um, collective trauma in various uh, where it exists in various parts of the world. In all of us, trauma is kind of like the ghost in the machine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went to Jerusalem, and I underwent a series of trainings across a year with hundred and fifty other international people Mm -hmm. from around the world who were all um, kind of of the same um inclination as me i met incredible people and it was good to get out of ireland in a way i joke about it sometimes and say i felt like johnny logan in the trauma olympics like talking <laughs> about what are, what the particular color of trauma is collectively in ireland but to be with people from um you know israeli backgrounds palestinian backgrounds women from the congo um people who'd fought in uh Vietnam and to see how these pockets of trauma get hidden in the collective and we, we mm. do everything to avoid it. So the Pocket Project was about shining light, like creating pockets of luminosity um, in in those parts of the world where or in the parts of ourselves where where trauma is hidden. Once you shine a light on trauma it can't survive. Mm. It's a little bit like when Brene Brown talks about shame in the Petri dish. Um, when you put empathy in the petri dish besides shame, shame can't survive. Mm. And it's kind of similar with trauma. Once you work, the thing with trauma is that it, it has to be healed in relationship with someone. We can't do it on ourselves. Yeah, really. If we dive down there on our own, it's like deep sea diving without an oxygen tank. Mm-hmm. Um, when we can process or meet our trauma in relation to the other, um, and then in a large group like that, and in a place like Jerusalem, which, you know, the first time I went to the Wailing Wall and went into the old city of Jerusalem, it's, it's like the epicentre of world trauma right mm. there, with armies it's, everywhere. And for
1: the listeners, maybe, um, like, what, if you were to give a definition of what trauma is, or, like, a little synopsis, maybe, of what you understand trauma to be, like, how would you describe it?
6: I know for me, it was something hosted deep inside me that I did everything I could to avoid. And when in a safe environment and contained environment, I felt the courage to look at it, it actually lives in our nervous system. Mm. So I think you can feel it as a tremor in the nervous system. Um, Some people experience it where um we can't kind of stay with it so our brain flips on to the next thing or the brain gets really busy therapeutically that's called flooding. Um and I I do think that all of us host trauma but some are more some aspects are more advanced than others. It travels generationally that's been proven in science now. They're looking at three and fourth generation with mice for example where the trauma continues to live wow. from one generation yeah. to the next. So, I mean, it made sense to me when you come from a country that's been colonized, that's gone through famine, that's been colonized by the Catholic Church and in a woman's body, there's going to be something going on in there that has um, what, what we now call trauma.